Good morning. I hope you're glad to be here today. What a beautiful day God has blessed us with. And I know there's a lot of stuff going on in our world, but I'm reminded often of a good friend of mine, Ron Gerald. Some of y'all remember Ron. He is within a week of my age, and he has multiple sclerosis. He has been in a nursing home for 20 years, probably close to it. And uh, he's had a he's had a rip of it. But when I go and visit Ron, I say, "How you doing, Ron?" And he looks at me and he says, "Every day above ground is a good day." And I think about that quite a bit. God has really blessed us, and we need to remember the blessings. I've got a question for you this morning. Who do you think is the wickedest man that ever lived? Sound gremlin going on. Is it in my... Something right there. Let me tighten it down as tight as I can. Let's see if that fixes it. Who do you think is the wickedest man that ever lived? Well, I've got a, a screen up here with uh, some likely candidates. Okay? If you were to talk to people about who was the most wicked, these are guys that might show up on the list. Adolf Hitler, he killed more than 6 million. They say about 17 million total that he killed, but 6 million Jews. Uh, Nero, Nero murdered his mother and tortured Christians. He used to hang them on poles and set them on fire to light his gardens. That's pretty wicked, isn't it? That's terrible. Joseph Stalin say he killed about 20 million people. And Mao Zedong, they say he killed about 35 million. Say, well, that's hard for us to get our mind around something like that. When I think about evil, I think about somebody like Charles Manson. I mean, that guy was a maniac, wasn't he? It's crazy, the stuff that he... And, of course, you can see it just by looking at him. Look at, if he looked like that all the time, I don't know why anybody followed him. It looks like people would run from him. Osama bin Laden killed over 3,000 people in terrorist attacks that we know of. Pretty wicked man, huh? Dylan Klebold, he was a school shooter in Columbine. You know, there's been a bunch of, I could have put any of their pictures up here, but that's pretty wicked, isn't it? I mean, to take a gun and go into your classmates and kill them and the teachers? That's terrible to do something like that. Or Ted Bundy, mass murderer, charming, flirt with a young lady, trick her into trusting him, and then slaughter her like an animal. Terrible. Maybe when you think about the most wicked person who lived, you don't think about someone like this. You think about maybe someone who's personally done you wrong. You know, sometimes you talk about who the most wicked person is. Somebody go, I tell you, it is my stepfather, or it's this person or that person that I knew. Someone has done you personally terribly wrong. You know, I'm going to suggest a guy to you that you might not even know his name, but he is in the running for the most wicked man that ever lived. He's in the Bible. Surprise, surprise. We've got a story about him. And we're going to look at that story. His name is King Manasseh. 
Now the story of King Manasseh really starts a little bit before him because his father was a very righteous man. This guy's father was a guy named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, his father, was such a righteous man, God sent a prophet to him and said, get your affairs in order, you're going to die. And he bowed himself before God, and he begged God, and he said, I have been faithful to you, I have served you, please give me some more time. God told the prophet, turn around and go back, tell him I'm going to give him 15 more years. So he did. Now that's pretty cool, right? You've got to be pretty righteous to get God's ear that way. Three years later, after that, he had a son. This son was the guy named Manasseh. Now the Bible tells us how righteous his father was. It says, Hezekiah the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He did good or righteousness in the sight of God. Manasseh became king when he was 12 years old. Now that's, that's a pretty big burden to put on a 12-year-old, right? I mean, when our kids were 12, we wouldn't hardly leave them at home by themselves. <laughs> you know, for very long. We'd run to town maybe, but we wouldn't go spend the night somewhere and leave them at the house. He became king at age 12. Now, lest you think that that excuses his wickedness, because, I mean, poor, the poor kid was thrown into it at a young age. His grandson, Josiah, one of the most righteous kings that Israel ever had, became king at age 8. So this guy becomes king at age 12, and this guy was absolute evil incarnate. He was a wicked guy. The Bible says he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen. Said he wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Do you think that God has ever been angry with you? I want you to think about it. Do you think God has been angry with you? That's something I hadn't thought a lot about till I was together. Okay, I'm going to not lean that direction again. Lest the sound man get angry with me. Do you think God has been angry with you? I think probably at times I've angered God. This guy did a bunch of stuff to make God angry. This guy was evil. He wrought much wickedness. He did some terrible, terrible stuff. I want you to look at this. He set up false worship in Israel. Now his father Hezekiah was a godly man, and Israel followed God while Hezekiah was king. But not this guy. He built up again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He reared up altars for Baal and made a grove as did Ahab, the king of Israel, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. This guy became so engrossed in his false religion that he set up these idols, these high places that his father had destroyed. Hezekiah, this righteous man, goes and destroys all these places of false worship 
And his son comes along and rebuilds them. You know, it reminds me of what Saul life. I tell you, being a problem, I'm just going to, uh, looks like trade out. If y'all will bear with me just for a moment, Jacob's going to bring me a different one. Okay, is that working? Okay. Excuse the interruption. He set up false worship. He set up idols for Baal. Do y'all know what Baal was? Baal was a general term meaning master or lord, but it was the term they applied to these false gods in, in Israel, in Canaan, not in Israel. When God brought Israel into Canaan, he said, these people are full of abomination. I want you to kill all of them, wipe them out. This king of Israel sets up idols and sets up places to worship these false gods that God destroyed the Canaanites for having. Can you imagine? That would be like showing up here at church and the elders have set up a Buddha statue up here for us to worship when we get to church. Can you imagine? And this is what this guy did in Israel. Look at what else we read about him. He profaned the temple. He built altars in the house of the Lord. He didn't just build altars other places. You know the temple? He went to the temple and built false idols in the temple. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house. Now, Asherah was a false goddess, and they would, build, they would build these almost like a totem pole, a pornographic totem pole with vile, nasty, immoral pictures carved into it. And he took that into the temple and set it in the temple. You know, it's hard to imagine anyone being more wicked than purposely trying to profane the house of God. I think about that. We come here together, right? Now, we know this building is not the house of God. The building is just a building. The temple of God today is you and I. It's Christians, right? Well, when you come to worship God, do you profane that? Do you bring the world in with you? Do you bring evil in with you when you come to worship the Lord? I hope not. God has never taken a light view of that. He's called us to holiness. Do you remember how Jesus dealt with it when there was corruption in the temple in His day? Jesus, the one that in all the movies walks around very calm and very mild and very easy and very soft. Jesus took some cords and He made a whip and he chased people out of the temple and threw over their tables. He said, you made the house of God a den of thieves. He had no tolerance for that. None. 
This guy didn't just make it a den of thieves. He made it a house of immorality. He made it a house of pagan worship. And there's no wonder that this would provoke God to anger. God would be very... I'll tell you how wicked this guy was. This guy did what caused God to wipe entire nations off of the face of the earth. The Bible says that he made his sons pass through the fire. He did much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. You know what it means to make your child pass through the fire? You know what that meant? They're false gods. They would have arms on them that stuck out like this, and they would build a fire right in front of it under those arms, and they would lay their babies on those arms and burn them as a sacrifice. Would that make you angry to see that? I would be livid. I, I can't imagine the anger that I would have. What do you think God thinks about that? You know, we've got something similar in our land today, and it's a scourge, and it's people murdering their babies before they're born. We call it abortion, but it's not that much different. And we ought to be as disgusted and angry about that. I believe God's as angry about that as He was about this. It's terrible. It's terrible to do something like that. The Bible says that there's some things that God hates, and one of those is those who shed innocent blood. God hates that. And we need to stand up against wickedness and evil like this. But you know, most of us, that's not the way we sacrifice our kids. You know how we sacrifice our kids, most of us? Oh, we sacrifice our kids to the God of envy or covetousness or immorality. That's what we sacrifice our children to. Well, we're so busy doing our stuff that we don't have time for the kids. The kids get pushed off to the side. They're sacrificed that way. Or we teach them to value so much worldly things, education and entertainment and sports, that we sacrifice them to those gods. And I tell you, God's not satisfied with that. He's never been pleased with that. This guy was a wicked man. You know what else he did? He practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, and cons consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him. He practiced witchcraft and black magic. Yesterday was Halloween. And you had all these kids walking around dressed up as different things, and everybody wants to watch scary movies on Halloween and movies about witchcraft. I want you to know real witchcraft to God is not a joke. It's not entertainment. God hates witchcraft. He despises. This word spiritist, you know what that is? That's people that try to talk to the dead and communicate with the dead. I saw an article about a house that they were auctioning off last night at midnight up in New York, supposedly a haunted house. Okay, and they were going to auction it off at midnight on Halloween. And they had all these they brought these spiritists in and they had communicated with these, all these children that had died from this family back in the influenza thing back in the 1800s or something. And these, they supposedly had talked to these dead kids. And one, they're fakes. I don't believe any of that. But number two, even if, if they're trying to do that, God says that's an abomination. He hates that. He despises somebody who claims to be a medium and try to talk to the dead. 
says he did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him. You know what else is true about this guy that's not true about most of us? This guy caused the moral decay of an entire nation. Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. He seduced Israel into being worse than the people that God drove out. I want to tell you, that's terrible. That's bad. Now, me, I might corrupt my family, but I don't have the power to corrupt a nation. I'm going to tell you what this guy did, and he did. He corrupted an entire nation of people so that they became more wicked than the pagans in the world. Now, can you imagine God's children being more wicked than those who aren't His children? Being led by a man this wicked? Not only that, He corrupted His living children. His son, Amon, walked in the ways that his father walked, and he served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. You know, a lot of times what happens is children tend to have the same problems that their parents have. You know, I can remember years ago, um, one of the negatives of being a preacher's kid is you get used as an illustration, right, Jeremy? <laughs> okay. Years ago, we were getting ready to go somewhere, and I was rushing the kids because we were late, as the McCorkles generally are, and we were trying to rush to get out of here. And I told Jerrica, I said, hurry up. And Jesse was between Jerrica and the front door. And Jerrica said, Jesse, boom! And I stopped and I said, Jerrica, Rachel, don't you talk to your sister that way. And I sent them on out to the car. And Carrie's standing right back over here. And I turned around and looked at her and she said, you know where they learned that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I know where they learned that. She was talking to her sister the same way I talked to them. Our kids tend to have the same problems we have. For that reason, if none other, you need to be righteous. You need to be godly. God said that we're to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God said that we're to teach our children God's ways. We're to talk to them about God's ways from the time they're little to the time they grow up, from the morning to the night, all the time. You may get tired if you're a young person of your mom and dad talking to you about God. Don't get tired of it. That's what God told them to do. He's trying to fill your heart with righteousness. That's not what this guy did. This guy filled his kids' hearts with evil. And his kids did the exact same stuff that he did. Now, occasionally you'll have a child that'll turn out righteous even in unrighteous circumstances. Occasionally you'll have a child that'll turn out unrighteous in good circumstances. But it's our job to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He undid all the good that his father had done, for he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. Many of you know my dad. He's a, a preacher, been a preacher for 60 years, close to it. Yeah, probably more than 60 years because he's in his 80s now. He's done a lot of good. 
He's taught a lot, taught the gospel to a lot of people. He's healed church divisions with applying God's word to that and persuading people to follow God. I could run around the church and tear up everything he's done good. That would be terrible. That's what this guy did. He undid all the good that his father had done. Isn't that terrible? To undo the good that your father had done? This guy shed much innocent blood. The Bible says the sin of Manasseh because of the innocent blood that he had shed, for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood which the Lord would not pardon. He killed lots and lots of people. In fact, you know what history tells us? Jewish rabbinic writings tell us he's the guy who killed Isaiah the prophet. He was a wicked man. No doubt about that. And it shouldn't surprise you then that he refused to listen to the word of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. You know, Jeremiah prophesied during the reign of Josiah, Manasseh's grandson. And Jeremiah talks about that period of time and talks about all the people who lived then. It had been their way of wickedness from their youth. Because that's the way all these people were. They were led by Manasseh to be wicked and evil people. So what happens? Well, in the story... He's king. He's got ultimate power. But God is angry. God is fed up with him. God has no interest in him doing what he's been doing and continuing that. And so the Bible tells us that one of the results of his sin was that he lost the forgiveness of the Lord. The Lord came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. You know, I asked you a few minutes ago if you felt like God had ever been angry at you. I believe he has been. But do you believe that God has ever said, I'm not going to forgive that? That's a bad spot to be in. That is a really, really bad spot to be in. The Lord would not pardon. He had lost the forgiveness of God. Now I know there are people in this world who will tell you that once you acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, that you will never, ever lose the forgiveness of God. But that's not true. The Bible is very plain that you have the freedom to come to Christ and you've also got the freedom to walk away, and a lot of people do. This man did. He walked away. He didn't follow the righteousness of his father. And thus, because of his wickedness, he did things that God would not pardon. And as a result of that, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the armies of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks and bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. And he was in, in affliction. So you know what God did? God took this guy who was the king and wicked and God said, you know what? Because of your sin, I am sick of it. I've had enough of it and I'm done. Now, as a parent, did any of you ever get to that point with your kid about something? Say, I've had all I'm going to take and you really clamp down, that's where God is right now. He says, that's it. I'm done. And you're done. 
And he brought the Assyrians. Now I want you to know the Assyrians were wicked people. I mean, the Assyrians were brutal people. And he brought them in and they captured this guy. They captured him and with hooks and bronze fetters, they carried him off to Babylon. They chained him up and drug him along like a trophy. And he was nothing more than just another prisoner to them. And so he sits in prison. Do you think that was just? Do you think that was right? After all the things we've learned about him? You know, when I read that story, I go, you know, you mess with God, you're going to get yours, right? You become evil, God will get you. And we kind of feel satisfied with that. We kind of feel like he deserved this. He'd earned it by his wickedness. Therefore, the Lord brought the captains of the army. It says they bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. They took him to Babylon and put him in a dungeon. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in a dungeon in a foreign country? That'd be bad, wouldn't it? Especially if you had been king and the way they would treat you. You might say, well, that's a fitting end. That's an appropriate end for a wicked man like this. But I want you to know that that's not the end of the story. The story goes on. This most wicked of men, who I believe is right up there with the most wicked that ever lived. There's more to this story. You know what the rest of this story is? Look at this. It says, now when he was in affliction... He implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. So here we've got this wicked guy, Manasseh, in prison, in a dungeon in a foreign country, captured by the enemies of Israel. After he's led all, done all of this wickedness and he's killed all these people, and we go, well, that's right, he deserves it, he ought to be there. And he has the audacity to turn to God and pray. Can you imagine the audacity of somebody who'd been this wicked to think that they had the right to pray to God, to ask God to humble themselves before God? Who does he think he is that God should give him anything? He thought he was nobody. That's who he thought he was. He humbled himself. You know what it means to humble yourself? You know, when we pray, growing up, I can remember in churches, the men would all get down on one knee like this. Some of you remember this. And they would get down like this when they prayed. We don't do that so much anymore. When people quit doing that, they would always bow their head. You know what that means to bow? It means you're saying, you're greater than me. You're greater than I am, and I, I will bow myself before you. You're, you're that, and I'm, I'm not. That's what it means to bow. Nowadays, sometimes, I think people just sit and look around and other stuff during prayer. Because a lot of times people don't have the fear of the Lord and the respect of God. But you know, God is God. He's God. And nothing that I do is going to change that. 
No matter how wicked I am, He's still God. No matter how righteous I am, He's still God. No matter what happens in our land, if every one of us gets COVID and we all die from COVID, He's still God. If the political party you don't think should be in power gets in power Wednesday, He's still God. If we have riots in the streets and there's violence in America, He's still God. If I go to Nigeria and get kidnapped and sold to ISIS, He's still God. Nothing changes the fact that He is God. And I'm not. You know, you've heard power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. This guy, Manasseh, when he was king, he had power, and he was corrupt. But when he had nothing, when he had nothing, I had a friend whose daughter tried to commit suicide. That's a terrible thing to go through. This guy was a very capable fella. I mean, he was an engineer, and he was the head of an engineering group, and his big multinational company used him to start a branch of engineering in the Dallas area. Very, very capable guy. He was an answer man. He could figure things out and give you answers. And I was talking to him about his life and different things, and he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, when it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and you're standing in an ER with your daughter's blood all over you. You got no answers. You got nothing. Sometimes people have to get where they got nothing before they'll humble. And sometimes people are too proud to even to humble themselves in that situation. But this guy wasn't. This guy, as wicked as he had been, humbled himself before God. Because God is God. And he received his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord was God. He humbled himself. He prayed to God. He begged God for forgiveness. And God heard that and restored him to his kingdom. Now, do you think there were people who were unhappy with that? <laughs> I guarantee there were people who were not happy God did that. God, how could you put this wicked guy back on the kingdom, back on the throne in the kingdom? How could you do that, God? I'll tell you how he did it, because this man humbled himself. And God is God. And God put him back in that place. And you know what happened? He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem and he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. You ever hear jailhouse religion? You know what jailhouse religion is? When people get thrown in jail and, oh, I'm, I've been saved, I've been changed, and they go before the, the board to see if they can get paroled or not, and, oh, God, Jesus has changed me. Most of the time they get out and they go right back to the crime that they were committing before. Not this guy. This guy, when he humbled himself, that wasn't just words. 
when he humbled himself, that wasn't just, I really mean it right now, but then later I don't mean it anymore. It wasn't that. This guy genuinely changed. He repented. He turned. He was a wicked man and he became a righteous man. You know, the Bible talks about that God can change people. God can change you. Most of us here know that because God has changed us, right? We know where we were. We know what we were. And God's made us different. Now, not everyone humbles themselves before God. But if we do, we humble ourselves before God and we repent of sin. We have a God who hears that. And I want to draw from you now just a couple of lessons, actually three quick lessons, that we can draw from the life of Manasseh. Number one... You need to know that the wages of sin are sure. You are not going to get away with it. Now, you may fool your parents. You may fool your friends. You may fool the elders at church. But you are not going to get away with it. Numbers 32 tells us, be sure your sins will find you out. And they will. Your sins are going to find you. Solomon said this. He said the conclusion of the whole matter is to fear God and keep His commandments. You remember that? You know why he said that? Remember the next verse? Because God is going to bring every secret work into judgment. You will not get away with sin. I don't care who you are. All those people that I had the pictures of the, the wicked people up there at the first, Osama bin Laden and uh, Hitler and all those people. You think any of them got away with that? No. Now some of them may have died without paying penalty here on this earth. They didn't get away with it. Nobody gets away with sin. Nobody can fool God. You need to know that. You need to know that especially when you're young. Because when we're young it's when we think we can get away with stuff most of the time, right? You're not going to get away with it. Your sin will find you out. Most of us get found out while we're still alive. But occasionally, somebody doesn't get found out till the day of judgment. But the Bible is very plain that the wages of sin is death and that there will be no second chances after we die. Jesus said, if you die in your sin where I am, you cannot come. So you cannot come. If you die in your sin. Not, if you die in your sin, we're going to give you one more chance after you're dead. No, it doesn't work that way. And no one but no one but no one gets away with it. But here's the other part of that story. God receives repentance. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Everyone. Now, I think about that in a couple of ways. One, I think about that. Is there anyone you don't want to come to repentance? Anyone you despise enough that you wish they wouldn't repent and be forgiven? Hope not. That's a terrible place to be. Terrible. To, because God wants them to be saved. Do you have family that you love that you want them to come to repentance? I hope you do. I hope you genuinely want them to come to repentance. Not for you, but for God and for them. I hope you want that. 
Because that's what God wants. No matter how much you may love them, God loves them more than you do. He loves them far more than you do with a perfect love that's not a selfish love. He wants them to come to repentance. He tells us in Ezekiel 18 that if the wicked repent and turn from their wicked ways, God will forgive them. God receives repentance. King David did some terrible, terrible things. And I know he's used all the time as an example. You know why? Because God put it in the Bible for us to learn from. King David did terrible, terrible things. But he said, the sacrifices of a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. No matter what you've done, God will receive your repentance. If you'll turn to Him, humble yourself before Him, and you will repent, turn away from that sin and turn to righteousness. I mean genuinely repent, not use the words but genuinely turn your heart to God. When you do, you're not worried about protecting your reputation anymore. You're not worried about how people are going to be fair to you or not fair to you anymore. That doesn't matter. What matters is I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve Him no matter what the cost. I'm serving God. And when you're of that heart, people aren't going to have to beg you to do what's right. You're going to want to do what's right. You're going to seek God. You're going to do what's right at every turn, at every chance you get. Now, will you fail at times? Yeah, you'll fail at times. But if you're repentant, God receives that repentance. And finally, there is hope in the mercy and forgiveness of God. You know, I look at this and I go, why would God put a story about this wicked fella in the Bible? Why tell that story? I mean, wouldn't the Bible be fine without this terrible story? Yeah, the Bible would be fine without that, except for one thing. I believe that God makes His best friends out of people who failed. I think that's why we have stories like King David in there who failed terribly and was still a man after God's own heart. Or like King, not King, like Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. You know what he told Timothy? He said, God saved me to prove He'll save anybody because I was the chief of sinners. Now, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter what you've done. You hadn't been worse than Saul. Saul killed people just because they were Christians. Saul broke in people's houses and tried to make them blaspheme Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's wicked. That's terrible. And God saved him and made him an apostle. You know, that was hard. Yeah, I, want, I want you to think about that for the people who had had family members killed by him. Wouldn't it be tough to go to a church service with him preaching? I mean, that'd be hard, wouldn't it? Would you have a little bitterness in your heart? It'd be tough not to. He was tough for the other apostles to accept him. You read the book of Galatians. It was 14 years before the other apostles gave him the right hand of fellowship after he was converted. 14 years! And even then when they did it, they say, okay, we'll go to the Jews and you go to the Gentiles. I mean, it was a hard thing because we as people don't see things the way God sees things. We don't judge the way God judges. And God looked at Saul and he saw a repentant heart who spent the rest of his life serving him to the point of death. And God forgave him for his repentance. And God will do the same for you. There is hope 
in the mercy and forgiveness of God. No matter what you've done, no matter how you failed your family or your friends or your church and your God, no matter where you've been, God will forgive you. Right? Some of you know this. I mean, you know it because you've lived it. Right? God forgives. He's a merciful and loving and forgiving Father. And I believe that's the beauty in the story of this most wicked man that walked the face of the earth. So my call to you this morning is this. If you fail God, if you've been wicked, if you failed those who love you, if you failed the one who loves you most, there's hope in His mercy and forgiveness. If you will repent of your sin, humble yourself before Him, and just throw your life at His feet. Just throw yourself on the mercy of the Almighty. He will forgive. What a glorious thing that is. No wonder they call it the gospel. No wonder they call it the good news. Because we can be right with the Creator of our universe if we'll do that. If you need to repent and give your life to God again in a very real and genuine way that you haven't done before, we're going to have a song of invitation to give you that chance to come before this congregation. Maybe you're watching and you want to turn your life around. Do it. Do it. Don't delay. We never know what tomorrow will hold. Make yourself right with God. Humble yourself and repent and He will forgive you. If we can assist you in that, please make that need known while we stand and sing.